Isaiah chapter 49. Isaiah chapter 49. These next couple of Sundays, we're looking at some of the great mission texts of the Bible, especially the Old Testament. Here's a wonderful missionary text. Isaiah 49 verse 6. We'll read verse 6 and 7 of Isaiah chapter 49. It is, he says, it is too light of a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and His Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers. Kings will see and rise up in His presence. Princes, then they will prostrate themselves before Him because of the Lord who is faithful. The one speaking here seems to be God himself. Verse 6, he says, who is he? Well, it seems to be God that is talking. Verse 7, thus says the Lord. So, but the big question, main question is of whom is he speaking? Who is this one who will be raised up to bring back Israel and be a light to nations? Now, some have said that he's speaking perhaps of the nation of Israel, that they would be raised up. But they're the ones who are astray. In verse 6, you see that the one who's going to be raised up is raised up to bring back the preserved of Israel. So he's assuming Israel needs to be brought back, not sent out. So we, we would not say this is speaking of the nation of Israel. Others say that this might be Isaiah. They would make Isaiah as a light to the nations. But again, it seems limited. Um... Did Isaiah bring back Israel? No, Isaiah was written in 700 B.C. and Israel departed from the Lord after that. So, not Isaiah either. Then who? Well, I think the true interpretation would be he is speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. That God the Father here is speaking of God the Son. And there are three things in this text that cause me to believe this is speaking of Christ. One is, verse 6, It is too light of a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring back the preserved or the remnant of Israel. When you look at the first century when Jesus came, he actually did that. He went out, he, he never left the land of Israel. He ministered primarily to the Jews. 
and in fact told the disciples this in Matthew 10, 5. These 12 Jesus sent out instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no, no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So Jesus is the one who brought back Israel. In fact, um, if you look at this, all the disciples were Jewish. And the first church birthed was in Jerusalem. 3,000 were saved at Pentecost. And the first Jewish pastor was James. And the first deacons were all Jews in Acts 6. And in Acts 4, the church had multiplied so that it had 5,000 men, Acts 4 verse 4, converted in one day. Jewish men. So it is true to the text to say Jesus, when he came, brought back in mass thousands and thousands of Jews to Jesus through his disciples and through his own ministry. Now, it is true many of the leaders, of course, were against him and manipulated the system to crucify him. But there were thousands of Jewish believers in the first century. And so he brings back, he raises up the tribes of Jacob and brings back the preserved of Israel. There's a second reason that I think the text gives us that Jesus fulfills, and that is the last part of verse 6. I will make you a light to the nations. Now that is what Jesus did. Jesus came. He taught to these Gentile nations held by superstitions, idol worship, and by and large were barbaric. But he taught about God and heaven and hell and marriage and worship, a judgment to come. And he brought light to those who sat in darkness, Luke said. He illustrated God's love for sinners by sitting and eating with them. In fact, uh, Simeon, an old gentleman in the temple... And this is when Mary brought Jesus as a baby into the temple. Simeon took Jesus as a baby in his arms. And he says, now I can die in peace. For mine eyes have seen God's salvation, who is also a light to the nations. That's in Luke 2.30. And Simeon evidently quotes this text in Isaiah 49, verse 6. Simeon thought it spoke about Jesus. A third thing uh, that I think the text uses to describe Jesus is in verse 7. Thus says the Lord who's the Redeemer of Israel and His Holy One, to one deeply despised and abhorred by the nation. That would be the nation of Israel. He's deeply despised. Well, that's a description of his crucifixion. But then kings will see and rise 
and fall down and worship. That's the description of his exaltation. So I don't think that matches Israel or Isaiah. I think it matches the humiliation and exaltation, the crucifixion, resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So for these reasons, we take this to be speaking of Christ. Now here is the uh, couple of things I want to point out to you. In verse 6, he says, It is too light of a thing. The word light or small, it's too small of a thing, is translated in Proverbs 14 and 6 as easy. uh, uh, In Habakkuk 1.8, it's translated as swift. Uh, So when he says it's too light of a thing, he means it's too easy, too swift. It doesn't take enough time. God is saying, I want something that is so hard And just to bring back Israel, one nation, that's too small of a thing. That's too light. That's too quick. I am going to make him a light to the Gentile nations, the barbaric, uttermost parts of the earth people. This light of the true God and his word and his gospel and his ethic and his standard It's going to go to the uttermost parts, even up in Michigan. And the Gentiles will hear it. Amen. He didn't just stay confined to the borders of the land of Israel. God said, that's too small a thing. I want something big. I want something hard to do that's worthy of of the mighty God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, the, the thing that I love about that is that God loves hard problems. Another thing that I noticed here that encouraged my heart in verse 7 was, Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and His Holy One, to the one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, verse 7, Servant of rulers, the kings will rise. They will see and rise up. Stand up when you walk in the room. Speaking here of the Messiah, he said, And princes, they will fall down and worship. They will prostrate themselves. Because of the Lord. In other words, God is pledging himself to this Messiah in a way that is going to guarantee conversions. They're going to do this. Even the kings, even great men, presidents, they're going to worship Jesus. How do I know that's going to happen? What if they don't want to? They're going to do it because of the Lord who is faithful. Um, One of the things I, I read... Uh, in describing the absolute inevitable success of the mission of Christ is that G.K. Chesterton, who was a 
wonderful Roman Catholic Christian, he did a study of the historical periods when Christianity seemed to have been extinguished in the earth. That it seemed it was made illegal, people were put to death for being a Christian, Bibles were confiscated. And he did a study of the historic periods when Christianity seemed to have died. And here's what he said. When our faith had, to all appearance, gone to the dogs, it was always the dog that ended up dead, not the faith. Christianity seems to have died many times over, but it always rises again. For it has a God who knows the way out of a grave. I love that. It has a God. The Christian faith, distinct from all other religions, has a God who knows how to come up out of the grave. And you can apply that not only to the Christian faith around the world, you can apply that to the local church. Amen? And you can apply that to your personal situation. You may have written yourself off. You may have put yourself... You uh, you ever heard anybody say, okay, I'm dead. Listen, our God knows the way out of the grave. In 1800, between 1790 and 1800, church attendance had fallen so low that some registered only 5% attending church in the colonial days. 1790, 95, 5% attending church. Well, today, we think we're at a low ebb, and we are, compared to some periods, about 15 to 20% attend church. Well, they had 5%, 8% in 1800. And Chief Justice John Marshall, who was the fourth Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, uh, this was about 1825, 1830, he wrote to his pastor, and he, he was so discouraged, he said, it seems to me the church is too far gone to ever come back. <laughs> He needed this verse right here. You see that last statement in verse 7? They will prostrate themselves because of the Lord. The Lord has pledged Himself to God's people and His kingdom and His church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. God has pledged success to us. A French atheist named Voltaire wrote hundreds of books and tracts, many of them against the church and the Christian faith. Voltaire moved to Switzerland where he bought an estate. He was visited by the pastor. This was in the uh, late 1600s. He was visited by the pastor there in Geneva, Switzerland. And the pastor said, Sir, you are a negative influence for the Christian faith in our area. We would like to ask you to leave. And he ultimately was pushed out by the church. Do you know who the pastor's name was who went to Voltaire and asked him to leave town? 
John Calvin. <laughs> I guess it was predestined for him to leave. But when he left, some years later, a Bible distribution society bought Voltaire's estate and began distributing Bibles from his house. Voltaire had said, Christianity will be gone in two generations. Not so. Voltaire was gone. His house was a Bible and missionary society's house. The dog died. When it seems like the Christian church is at a low ebb, trust the God who has pledged his success to the kingdom. The God who knows his way out of the grave. I want to um, give you some final thoughts here on this passage. Uh, To this church in particular, I want to say three things. One, I want to to commend the church, this church. Um, We just recently sent over $2,000 to foreign missions. Y'all remember me... uh, announcing that it and in December we wanted to send a good check about $2500 to the Christmas missions offering that that offering goes directly to the foreign mission field to preach the gospel and y'all gave and I praise God for it we uh, this is a generous giving church um we also have, and I, uh, under this, I want to remind you about our vision. Um, we, we cast a vision a year or two ago to build a new building over here and uh, for the children. Project 145. It's called Project 145 because Psalm 145 teaches us to teach and preach to the next generation the wonderful works of God. And I want to commend you for that too. And I want to remind you of that vision because we've got to renew that. We've got to start thinking about that. So you'll be hearing more about that. Uh, But as to date, we have in our savings about $99,000 toward this new building. So we are not idle. Amen. Amen. And this is for our children. The kingdom is going to be transferred to our next generation. One Sunday, one Easter Sunday, about three or four years ago, we promoted and pushed and and invited people, uh, and we had at least 75 to 85 little children out in the atrium that Easter Sunday morning. That's the potential we have here. And we've got 18 acres to build buildings. We can build buildings that seats a thousand people and still have room for volleyball, soccer fields, softball fields, and whatever other kind of ball you want to play out there. Crockett, what is it? (laughs) If you want to do that, whatever that is. But this is a reminder of our vision. And our, 
this church, and this is coupled with the church on Bristol Road too, but we help people during Christmas pay their rent, buy food, pay utilities, gifts for their children. We help the sick. We help the healthy. We help those with jobs. We help those without jobs. We tried to do during this Christmas season, we tried to help every single person that asked, even if they didn't attend church here. So I praise God for that. And I just want to remind you that God blesses Genesis 12, 1 and 2. He said, I'll bless Abraham and you will be a blessing. We, God blesses us and then we pass that on. And you are doing that. And I praise God for it. One, one other uh, thing about uh, final thought that I want to give to you, and that's I want you to see this tremendous encouragement from our text that God loves the impossible. God loves the difficult. It's too small of a thing. What is your vision? I bet it's too small for God. Just to save one nation, that's not a small thing to me, but for God, for God's power and God's wisdom and God's might and God's grace, saving one nation is too little. I want to save the world. I want it to go to the very end of the earth. And I pledge myself that it will be done. That's what God said. Because of the Lord. They're going to bow down because of the Lord who is faithful. Did you know that the great commission and the, and the mission of the church is not based on your faithfulness? It's based on His faithfulness. That's what He says. Because of the Lord who is faithful. I've been reading a book, Dr. David Jeremiah, uh, his book on end times and he tells of the uh, capture and this was uh, just about two years ago uh, this month as a matter of fact in which 21 people 20 Christians were arrested by ISIS in Libya y'all know what ISIS is uh, the, it's an acronym. It stands for um, Islamic State, IS, in Iraq and Syria. But they have they have spread out, and they were in Libya, and they took these Christians as their Sharia law calls for, and they arrested them and marched them down to the beach. And there they made them bow down, kneel down. And these Christians were from a little town not too far from Cairo, Egypt. They had gone to Libya to find work. So they were arrested and bound and made to kneel before this, in front of each, uh, each one had an ISIS soldier behind him with a knife. 
they were told they had to deny Christ and convert to Islam or they would be beheaded. Not one single individual denied Christ and converted to Islam. And ISIS showed the video of this mass beheading uh, in order to promote its religion. It ended up inspiring people to give their lives to Christ. And one of the things that was noticed is that they could identify 20 of the Christians. But there were 21. And they couldn't figure out who the number 21 was. Nobody knew him. And come to find out he was a Libyan who had been accidentally swept up in the arrest warrants and was probably a Muslim and had been marched down along with all the Christians. And we have, the, uh, we have a picture, his name, and he's right here on the end from Libya. His name is Matthew Ayat, I believe it is. First name is Matthew Aarga, A-Y-A-R-G-A, Aarga. And when they got to Matthew, they told him the same thing. You must deny Christ and convert to Islam. Well, he wasn't even a Christian. But he had watched these believers die. He had seen their courage. He had seen their faith. He had seen their example. He had even seen some of them sing and worship and praise God as they died. And instead of giving this statement, I deny Christ, which could have been very easy since he wasn't even a Christian to begin with, he said, I want their God as my God. And Matthew Aarga chose to die as a Christian rather than live as a Muslim. People will be converted because of the Lord who is faithful. Where is this? Is it in the sanctuaries? No, it is in the ends of the earth, on the shores even of Libya. This is the gospel. So we understand this text to mean that God says, because of the might of the Messiah, He is going to not only assign Him to gather the Jews in the first century, but then be a light to Gentiles, even to the remote areas of the world. And He, that is God, pledges loyalty to this Messiah and the message that he brings. Success is assured by the God who sits on the throne of heaven. Amen. So we are in a fight, a struggle, but we have great assurance I talked to Jan this past week about 
what will we do to give? And we talked about how it, it hurts when, when you give sacrificially. Here is the thought that I think God gave me. The sacrifice, yes, it is a sacrifice. To carry out this mission of the gospel. But the benefits so outweigh the sacrifice, it will turn to joy. As we look at this over these next couple of weeks, I hope you'll remember that. Yes, and the success that God has pledged himself to make. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your promises and your pledges, not simply to us as individuals, but to your work and your kingdom and your church and your mission. We thank you that you're faithful. And because of that, we can be successful. And like others before us, we praise your name. Amen. Amen.